the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real, man. Love is... is love. Too weak a word. Stay Welcome to the next best picture podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello everyone and welcome to the next best picture podcast. This is episode 173. I'm your host, Matt Negley. The time of recording is December 22nd, 11 10 a.m. And joining me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Cody Derricks. It's Cody the Chicago Cat. I don't know. <laughs> oh my God. Lauren LaMagna. Hey, everyone. And Casey Lee Clark. Hello. All right, everyone. So uh, this week, we are going to uh, be doing a couple of different things, actually. Uh, we're going to be talking about some end of year stuff. Uh, we're not going to get into like our like top tens or anything like that. Um, that's like for a more formal episode, which will probably come later. Um, same thing with end of the decade. I kind of just want to spitball some things like memorable theater experiences or favorite scenes from this year that really stood out to you or... You know, was there like a new character that was introduced that like could become iconic or something along those lines? Um, I really want to kind of just dive into like the little specifics uh, of 2019 in this episode. We're also going to talk about some of our favorite holiday movies. Uh, Michael, you'll be celebrating Hanukkah. My mom's Jewish, so I call myself Pizza Bagels because my dad's Italian and my mom's Jewish. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, all right, so yeah, we'll be talking about a little bit about Hanukkah and uh, also Christmas uh, movies, uh, or you know, just in general, things that uh, make us happy around the holidays. Uh, we're gonna answer some fan questions. We'll touch a bit upon uh, what happened in awards season this week. It was a little uh, quiet, all things considered. Uh, Golden Globes, uh, Critics' Choice, SAG, all that is going to come later as we get into January. Uh, we're also gonna discuss three trailers today. We're gonna talk about Christopher Nolan's Tenet, the American remake of the foreign language film Force Majeure titled Downhill starring Will Farrell and Julia Louise Dreyfus. And we are also uh, going to talk about the trailer for The Woman in the Window starring Amy Adams. First and foremost, to kick us off here, I want to first start off by asking a question, but because this is probably going to go, you know, a little long today, keep it as brief as humanly possible. Michael, what did you catch up with at the movies this week? Yeah, I was at the movies a lot this week, but like you requested, I'll keep it short. I saw The Two Popes, which I thought was really enjoyable. Great performances by Price and Hopkins. Uh, Dark Waters, which was a really nice surprise. You know, people had been saying, oh, it doesn't feel like a Todd Haynes movie. Well, I thought it was a Todd Haynes movie through and through and a very good one at that. So I hope more people get to check that out. I saw Honey Boy, which I thought was interesting. Good performances from Shia LaBeouf, Lucas Hedges and Noah Jupe. I uh, didn't connect with it fully as much as some people have, but I liked all the work from actors there. Bombshell, which is really terrific, uh, continuing the Jay Roach tradition of political satire. I think all four performances at the core of the film, Charlize, Nicole, Margot, and John Lithgow, all deserve to be nominated. I think they really carry the film through and has a lot of really interesting things to say in balancing you know, what we think of Fox News and harassment in the workplace. It was really well done, I thought. I saw Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, which I really enjoyed quite a bit. I know people are really divided on it. To me, it restored a lot of the fun that I felt had been missing from Star Wars in recent years. 
And, of course, I saw Cats, which I don't really know where to begin with that one. Uh, I've read some thoughts on Twitter that really spell it out. The film is a hot mess. It is one of the poorest direction, it's some of the poorest direction I've ever seen in a musical. It is just a mess of epic proportions, yet at the same time, I have to give credit to the actors who, as poorly directed as they are, are really fully committed in giving it their all. So there are glimmers of what could have been in Cats, but oh boy, this is a disaster. Yeah, it's funny how uh, Tom Hooper started off the decade with an Oscar-winning film in The King's Speech, and he's ending it with what is by far his worst movie, and quite possibly uh, the worst, if not one of the worst movies of 2019, that's for sure. On our next Best Picture scale, it's one of those things where I wouldn't say like zero or one out of ten. It's like not that type of disaster. Oh, no, Michael, I agree with you, which is why I gave it a two out of ten on our review. <laughs> yeah, I'm like a three, so, you know, right in the same neighborhood there. Because there are glimmers of what could have been. I, I suppose so. <laughs> All right, moving on from that then. It sounds like you had a really, really good week, and I know you have some more catching up to do as well, especially as we get uh, closer to the end here. Uh, but this is a very, very exciting time where we a lot of us are playing catch up. I pass it off next to Casey Lee Clark. What did you catch up on uh, in, you know, and trying to wrap up 2019. Yeah, mine's pretty brief. Um, I didn't get to see Cats yet. More on that at a later date. Uh, but I saw Rise of Skywalker on Friday. And during it, I really loved it. I was crying buckets. Uh, and then the more removed I am from it, the more I'm kind of picking it apart and inconsistencies and just overall feeling like they didn't have the whole trilogy mapped out. But overall, I still really enjoyed it. The hyped up leading up to Force Awakens was what got me to become a Star Wars fan. So I hold this trilogy very close in my heart. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, I totally understand what you mean. I think uh, I had a similar reaction where in the moment I was definitely enjoying myself. I was very thoroughly entertained, but the more that I took a step back later on, I was like, oh yeah, uh, that's not sitting right with me right now. <laughs> more on that on the uh, podcast review, as I said before, same thing with cats. Um, let's pass it over now to Lauren. Lauren, what about you? Um, earlier this week, I saw Uncut Gems, which was amazing, and I loved it. And it's a Hanukkah movie in my mind, so I'm going to keep it that way. Oh, 100% it is, definitely. Fantastic. I think everyone, if it's playing where you are, please go see it. And then I also saw Bombshell, which surprised me over how much I liked it. I thought I would think it was okay, but I really thought it was great. I loved all the actors involved. I really loved Margot Robbie, and I really enjoyed what they did with Kate McKinnon, how it wasn't just like the stereotypical Kate McKinnon role. Like She actually had stuff to play with. So that was really fun, and I loved the conversation they were having. So those two are great. I am seeing Star Wars tonight, so I will tweet about that as soon as I can, and cats to be determined. All right, all right. Cody, take us home. What do you got? All right, so I saw two movies that I was on the podcast review for on this uh, on Next Best Picture, and those were Richard Jewell and Cats. So see those, my thought. Uh, both not good, anyway. But you know what was good? The podcast themselves. <laughs> yeah. <that one. laughs> The real podcast was the friends we made along the way. Somebody, uh, I, I can't remember who it was who commented. I think it was my friend uh, Brent, but he uh, said to me, crappy movie, great podcast. I was like, oh, oh yes. <laughs> uh, and then I saw Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and I am a massive Star Wars fan, possibly to the point where it's one of the few things I can kind of overlook some flaws and just enjoy the journey with my friends out there in outer space. And I, I really love Force Awakens. And I especially love that Last Jedi. It might be actually my favorite Star Wars movie, period. And I still enjoyed this movie. 
I think there's some things that uh, they did a little scrunching and squeezing of the story to kind of like adjust from things that were laid on the groundwork of Last Jedi, but I can kind of uh, just make it work in my head so that doesn't really bother me. And yeah, the more I think about it, there are some things that I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. And I don't know if that's necessarily how that needed to happen. But overall, my viewing experience was fantastic. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed The Rise of Skywalker. Awesome. Awesome. That's great to hear. Um, I saw Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker and Cats and uh, both of those. Um, I give all of my thoughts on our podcast review for those. Um, otherwise, um, spending this week catching up on some movies that appeared on the uh, documentary and uh, international feature uh, shortlist, which we need to talk about. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences released the uh, shortlist for um, the 92nd Academy Awards. And, uh, of course, like last year, it was done in a bunch of different categories, uh, which is really exciting, you know, because it helps to kind of like pare things down for us. It kind of helps with our predictions a little bit. So I actually want to dig into that really fast here. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay, yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. <laughs> yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, you can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one? Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? okay? That's what you're I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't buy that. That's just how it works. <laughs> uh, so for original score, we have Avengers Endgame, Bombshell, The Farewell, Ford v. Ferrari, Frozen 2, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, with King, Little Women, Marriage Story, Motherless Brooklyn, 1917, Pain and Glory, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and Us. Any notable omissions, anything that like stood out to you guys that you were like, oh, I really, really wish this was here, and it's not. So this isn't super notable, maybe because it was not really expected to make it in, but I just realized, and nobody's really talking about it, The Last Black Man in San Francisco was not on this list, and that really had an extraordinary score, and I'm kind of a little bummed it's not going to see any awards life at all, it seems like. Not of like notable snubs and more of like of surprises. It's happy to see us get in there since I feel like all of us were convinced it was going to be ineligible. So that was a pleasant surprise. Yeah, the us inclusion definitely uh, was extremely satisfying. I was very, very happy about that. Um, I knew I mean, I think we all knew prior beforehand that Ad Astra was going to be disqualified uh, for other reasons as well. So it's not surprising that that's not listed here. Um, but otherwise, a lot of the notable uh, contenders are all present. Um, I think I think the most surprising inclusion is probably Frozen Two. Yeah, mm. it's not a super memorable score. I mean, like the songs are memorable, but I don't. I can't even hum you a single melody from the score itself right now. Uh, a category that Frozen, uh, the first film, won a few years ago was for Best Original Song. It is back in this category again uh, for Into the Unknown, along with Speechless from Aladdin, Letter to My 
uh, Godfather from the Black Godfather. I'm standing with you from Breakthrough. There's Diane Warren, everybody. The Bronx <laughs> from the Bronx, USA. Stand Up from Harriet. Catchy Song from the Lego Movie 2, the second part. Never Too Late from the Lion King. Spirit from the Lion King. Daily Battles from Motherless Brooklyn. A Glass of Soju from Parasite. I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man. High Above the Water from Toni Morrison, The Pieces I Am. I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away from Toy Story 4 and Glasgow from Wild Rose. Yay, Glasgow. Yeah. yeah. I'm very happy for Glasgow. Hell right yeah, now. Glasgow. Yeah, having it make it this far made me slide it into my predictions because it means mm-hmm. they've noticed it. I, I agree, Cody. I moved it in there as well. And I will say for the record that I believe, I wholeheartedly believe that Parasite, if it gets a nomination for original song on Oscar nomination morning, y'all better be putting that shit in your number one slot for best picture prediction. I'm telling you. Number one. Oh, right I already now. have it in there after SAG Ensemble. I'm sold. Don't worry. I mean, <laughs> I I could not think of an, a greater show of strength across the board with this Academy than if that nomination happens. <laughs> that would be That's insane. Like, even though it didn't win best picture, remember Pie's Lullaby in 2012? Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Or but when, when her locker made like, into score, kind of similar. Absolutely. I, I think that that's the kind of nomination you look out for in the morning and you're like, oh, oh, oh you know. I, listen, I know what you're all thinking. I know we all thought that with Marina de Tavera last year with Roma. I get it. But, you know, different circumstances, I think, this year. I think we all collectively agree that Parasite is in a stronger position than Roma was last year. Do we all agree on this? Oh, yeah. 100%. And I think reiterating that, like, showing at SAG was already, like, a boost up there. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, Glasgow from Wild Rose, I will be solely, sorely disappointed if it does not make it in now at this point. Um, I'll be very upset. Did you all see the story behind Mary Steenburgen writing that song? Oh, yes. It's, it's amazing. Wild. It's crazy. Favor, if you're listening, find the article. I believe it's IndieWire about how she wrote that song. It's unbelievable. She talked about that about a year ago on uh, Mark Maron's podcast. And I just didn't know she was uh, doing any work after that. So when I heard that the movie was coming out and she had a part in it, I was like, oh, well, I guess this is because of what happened there. I won't spoil it, really. Go uh, take Cody's recommendation and read about it. Okay, so now uh, for best makeup and hairstyling, we have Bombshell, Dolomite is My Name, Downton Abbey, Joker, Judy, Little Women, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Rocket Man. Where is the Irishman? It's what it is. Mm. How did that happen? <laughs> it's really bizarre that I missed two because of the two aging or de-aging techniques between this and the visual effects, the visual effects are definitely the one that had the more critiques. The makeup was pretty, fairly unimpeachable, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I think this now just became Bombshell's category to win the walk. Oh, 100% yeah. easily. Yeah. No questions asked. Best visual effects, Elite Battle Angel, Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel, Cats, Gemini Man, The Irishman, The Little, uh, The Little, like, I was going to say The Little King, The Little, <laughs> 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 The Lion King, <laughs> 1917, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, and Terminator, Dark Fate. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know if this will uh, happen based on like how it's being received, but I, I could see this being a way for them to... Uh, finally give an award to this Star Wars trilogy. I mean, just because there's not really anything else this year that's kind of sucking up all the air in terms of visual effects. I mean, this is if 1917 doesn't make it in because that's presumably a Best Picture nominee. I am very upset that Ad Astra missed here. I know. Yeah. For a movie that literally has not gotten a fair shake at all 
since its release in theaters and the fact that no screeners were sent out either. I just don't understand what the deal was with this movie. I can understand, like, it's not a best picture player or anything like that. But one, Brad Pitt is so freaking good in this movie, first of all. I know. That's number one. And number two, on a technical level, this movie deserves to be considered for things like visual effects, sound, things of that nature. It's definitely this year's first man where it's just an all around good, if not great film. And it's just like not getting anything. I think it could show up as a lone sound editing nominee on Oscar nomination morning. I could see that happening. Uh, Aeronauts missing here. um, Also, you know, I know that movie was kind of dead in the water anyway, but if it was going to show up anywhere, it probably would have been visual effects. Um, so that not showing up. And then the one inclusion that I'm just like, why is Terminator Dark Fate? But, you know, because for Captain Marvel, I can understand for the de-aging, Elite Battle Angel, I can definitely understand because if there's anything that was great about that movie, it was the visual effects. Um, Gemini Man, same thing with, you know, young Will Smith, even though it's a little spotty at times, there were certain moments where it was pretty convincing. Um... Yeah, you know, it's I I know that Lion King being here is also interesting because there I I think if if I were to ask all of you right now, would you all agree that the Lion King is an animated film? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I mean it's in a sense that I wouldn't nominate it with the animated films. That makes sense. Well, they're not going to because they're not submitting it as such. So they've already ruled that it, it's, it's not going to go virtual there. Virtual reality, and I'm still thinking about if that's animation or not. All right. I think if there's the dichotomy between live action and animation, which is like all films, I guess, have to fall on that spectrum. It's, you know, yeah, it's animation. Uh, listening to like Caleb uh, Deschanel, the cinematographer, talk about his process of shooting that film, I think is pretty interesting. But it also kind of reminds me of like the same way they shot the Avatar movies for its visual effects sequences. Um, yeah, no, it, it's an interesting debate to, uh, you know, kind of go back and forth on as, uh, you know, technology progresses. Documentary feature. We have Advocate, American Factory, The Apollo, Apollo 11. Whew, made the short list. Aquarella, The Biggest Little Farm, The Cave, The Edge of Democracy, Forsama, The Great Hack, Honeyland, Knock Down the House, Maiden, Midnight Family, and One Child Nation. Are we kind of prescribing to the notion that Apollo 11 is going to be this year's Jane or Won't You Be My Neighbor? The kind of populist doesn't make it in the final run. I'm still on that bandwagon. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way about The Biggest Little Farm. I am predicting Apollo 11 to get a nomination, uh, knowing full well that it probably will miss for the exact reason that you just said, Cody. So we'll see what happens there. I'm a little, I'm definitely, to quote a line from The Irishman, I'm more than a little concerned. (laughs) Best international feature film. uh, We have The Painted Bird, Truth and Justice, Les Miserables, Those Who Remained, Honeyland, Corpus Christi, Beanpole, Atlantics, Parasite, and Pain and Glory. I think you could very easily find your five in that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just really curious to know, though, um, what is the fifth for you, uh, Michael? I have uh, Atlantics. Well, well, so wait a minute. So, so Parasite, Pain and Glory, Laid Miserable. What's your number four? Those who remained. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So, well, uh, I'm curious. Do you all have the exact same five? Yeah. I have Atlantics yeah. number four, but yeah. Same thing. I have Beanpole instead of Those Who Remained. Just, yeah. Mm. I don't have Beanpole. I have the other five. I, I, I am in no way, shape, or form going to predict The Painted Bird to get in. No. I, I, I hated that movie so much. Um, Honeyland being here could be surprising. Well, good for it getting both this and documentary. I have right. a feeling that it, if it's going to go anywhere, it will be documentary um, just by nature of it being, I don't know, it feels more, if you had to choose one category to put it in, it just feels more like a documentary. I don't know. I don't know if that 
makes any logical sense. Sure. But especially with um, foreign uh, international, like we're saying, being kind of competitive and locked in and documentary having wiggle room, I think it could wind up in there. And also a lot of people did uh, point out that this is a very uh, European, heavily uh, focused lineup. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it did seem like it wasn't as widespread in terms of its international representation as it probably could have been. I've, I've heard that from a, from a couple of people. Um, you know, I mean, and there's also a lot of movies that I think some people were disappointed to see left off. I know Dan Baer was very disappointed that Invisible Life uh, yeah, didn't make I was, it. I was sad about that. Same with um, And Then We Danced. And We Danced, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. But, you know, that's the short list. Every year there's always something that gets left off at the end of the day. So yep. animated short, documentary short, live action short. I'll just list them. I know we haven't watched them yet. But the really cool thing is that obviously they will have showcases for these. You will be able to go and check them out, um, especially when they uh, when the nominations uh, happen. I know that they usually do uh, screenings of that throughout the country. So that's always pretty exciting. So we have Daughter, Hair Love, He Can't Live Without Cosmos. Horse Piste, I hope I'm saying that right. Kitbull, Memorable, Mind, My Mind, The Physics of Sorrow, Sister, Uncle Thomas, Counting for the Days. That's animated short, best documentary short. After Maria, Fire in Paradise, Ghosts of Sugarland, In the Absence, Learning to Skateboard in a War Zone, If You're a Girl, Life Overtakes Me, The Nightcrawlers, St. Louis, Superman, Stay Close, Walk, Run, Cha Cha. And then also, best live action short, Brotherhood, The Christmas Gift, Little Hands, Miller and Son, Nefta Football Club, The Neighbor's Window, Refugees, Sorrow. Maria, a sister, sometimes I think about dying. Wow, that last one. And in any <laughs> event, though, here, so those are the uh, shortlisted films for the shorts. Uh, more on that to come. I understand that the prediction pages on nextbestpicture.com have not been updated yet. That's because we haven't seen any of the shorts just yet. So uh, once we do start to see them, I promise we will fix that page and we will update our predictions as such. So be on the lookout for that. Okay, so that's the short list. Uh, for everything. And uh, yeah, we were able to pretty much narrow down a couple of categories, I think. I think things are starting to come more into uh, focus. Uh, while we're at it, let's just touch upon the other guilds very, very quickly here. Motion Picture Sound Editors announced the Golden Reel nominations. Uh, they're going to announce uh, their winners on January 19th, 2020. Uh, films that showed up here, uh, let's see. So we have for the most important category is the Sound Effects Foley category, because that is what correlates to best sound editing. They have 1917, uh, which is interesting because this didn't show up at Cinema Audio Society, but it showed up here. Avengers Endgame, Ford v. Ferrari, A Hidden Life. Okay. All right. All right. I see you. John Wick 3, uh, Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. I'm going to assume 1917 not showing up at the other guild, but showing up here is just a factor of the late release because I haven't seen the film, but I, I mean, it's inarguably an impressive soundscape, I'm sure. Oh, no, it totally is. I I see. I I think that's exactly what the reasoning is here. I will say this, too. John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum, has showed up at a couple of guilds so far this season. I don't know if you all noticed this. It's making me wonder, could John Wick be heading for a sound editing nomination? Uh, Like just a lone sound editing nomination. What do you guys think of that? I would love that. Do they usually go for series? <laughs> I can't think off the top of my head except for like Fury Road that they haven't really honored in the past. Born Ultimatum, I guess, is another example, but that was almost 15 years ago. Uh, let me think. Let me think. I mean, I don't know. Do you count stuff like Star Wars, you know? Yeah, but Star Wars, every single Star Wars has gotten at least one nomination. Yeah. No, I know what mm. you're saying. I hear you. I, I do think that the John Wick series does deserve to be, at least be acknowledged one day with because there's going to be a fourth one, which surprised me. I had no idea that they were heading for a fourth film. But 
Um, I, I have a feeling John Wick will get at least one nomination at some point, maybe for film editing or sound editing sometime. I, I don't know. But, you know, things like this. And like I think it's a good I think it's well made, you know, so uh, why not? But it'll be interesting to see if uh, sound editing and sound mixing, uh, you know, do produce a lone uh, nominee this year in any one of those two categories. Yeah. Uh, and then last but not least here, the USC Scripter uh, announced their nominations. Uh, this is honoring um, adapted screenplays, uh, both the source material and the film itself. Uh, winners for this will be not, uh, will be announced on January 25th, 2020. Here's what showed up here. Uh, we have Dark Waters, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Little Women, and The Two Popes. Yay for Dark Waters. Yeah, that was a surprise. Yay for Dark Waters indeed. I, I'm not like a huge fan of that movie. I like the movie a lot, but I will say its strongest asset for me is definitely its screenplay. So that was really cool to see happen. Um, what do we think about the possibility since it did show up here? I mean, could Dark Waters be heading also for a possible DG, uh, WGA nomination and maybe coasting into a surprise Oscar nomination? I don't think an Oscar nomination just because when you look at other scripter nominees, there's always one or two titles that don't transfer after that. But I mean, it's, I don't want to say a weak year, but it's a pretty thin lineup uh, of what we're considering. So, you know, if something like Joker ultimately doesn't make it in for Oscar, it, I would say it's maybe in the top 10. Yeah. Mm. All right. Uh, so that'll pretty much do it for award season, uh, you know, discussion for this week. Uh, let's talk about a uh, first trailer. Uh, let's talk about the trailer for downhill. Like I was saying before, an American remake of the foreign language film Force Majeure. This film is starring Will Ferrell and Julia Louise Dreyfus. It is premiering at the Sundance Film Festival. We'll be releasing uh, shortly thereafter. Let's take a look. Let's give some thoughts. Here we go. Wunderbar. Oh, thank you. The hand in the Arms up like this. Huh? Happy family. Please look into the camera. Please Why just smile. You, he wants poles up again. He wants us to keep doing poles up. I don't know. been through a lot lately. My dad passed away. Eight months ago. So we came here. He's still here. He's still here. You lose a parent and the ticking gets louder. Every day is all we have. We have, yep. <sighs> Powerful. Maybe we ski the beast after lunch. Yeah. No, I don't think I'm... it'll be that challenging. It'll be fine. Is that okay? Yeah. It's, it's fine. It looked like it was gonna kill us. For a and moment. the kids were screaming because it felt like we were gonna die. Pete? Wow. And I look over at Pete, and he had grabbed his phone. Pete left us. I didn't leave you to be buried. I'm gonna win. I ran to get help. Yes, I'm gonna win. That's not what happened. And I choose to survive. I love my family. Every day is all we have! How could I run away in ski boots? What? Can you run in ski boots? Not very well. Boom. Exactly. Regardless, I wouldn't leave my family to die. That's boom. Yes, I am prepared. You have a right to be angry. It's black and white. Well, no, it's black and white. How old are you? 30. Oh. I won't give in. There's only one thing I have to worry about right now, and that's going down. why there weren't any warnings posted anywhere. There was a warning. 
What? Posted at lifts, gondolas, hotel receptions, restaurants, shops, bars, soda machines, toilets. We didn't see any of that. Well, I mean, you put the two of them in any movie and there. Well, yeah, naturally, but I... I, I feel like this is going to be like the fighting with my family of this year. Um, it gets a Sundance release. It's pretty high platform in terms of the stars that are attached to it and such. Um, and I, I I see it being an enjoyable, perfectly adequate and fine movie. I don't see it rising to the same level as Force Majeure did before because that movie is freaking stellar as hell. Yeah, like it could be something that I don't think everyone's going to be running to the theaters. Like I could see people like waiting off of it and then maybe like when they go to like on vacation they can watch it on a plane or on demand or something of that nature but it looks fine i'm a huge fan of both dreyfus and Farrell, so i'll see it but i won't be running to see it and everything too that i'm trying to figure out based on the way the trailer is edited is i'm trying to figure out um if because you know because of the two people who are in it right um and you're trying to market this film you want to appeal to the fan base that are like oh these two actors are funny you know, so let's try and make the trailer a little snappy and a little funny. I'm wondering if that's a reflection of the movie, because while Force Majeure definitely has its fair share of dark humor, um, I'm wondering if the film still follows that and they're just trying to punch it up a little bit or if you, you know what I'm saying? Are you, you guys following like in terms of the marketing, yeah, if it's like, like truly reflective to... or not, you know? Yeah, I mean, I could see that it being like a more um, darker, more dramatic film than it's being let on, which I, I like when. Will Ferrell does that, then it's not all just studio comedies. I always expect Julia to be great. So it's, I, I like that even if the movie's not great, I like that he's at least getting this type of role is nice. Absolutely. She hardly makes movies. I mean, her last no, movie she doesn't. You're right. Enough said. And Enough Said is really a terrific film if you haven't seen that. And before that, it was A Bug's Life. So, yeah. well, now she's out of Veep World, so she's got space to do stuff. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, she looks great in this trailer. Yeah, no, I'm really, I'm excited. Um, I'll definitely be catching it up in the uh, mountains, uh, the snowy mountains. Uh, so it'll be mm-hmm. very, very appropriate to uh, watch this film up there. Uh, right, Casey? <laughs> Should be fun. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll see how that goes. In any event, uh, let's move on now to our next topic here. Uh, let's talk about the end of the year, end of 2019. Wow. Here we are. It's pretty crazy, guys. Uh, this is not an end of the decade discussion. This is just a discussion about 2019 in general. Um, I guess I'll start off by asking a very, very simple question. Um, How did you guys feel in terms of, you know, movies collectively as a whole? I know some of you guys haven't seen uh, some other things quite yet, but just so far, uh, temperature gauge, how are you all feeling about the year? I feel like this was a great year. I think especially the second half of the year, I think really picked up some steam. And I think that... I think it really proved itself to be a really interesting year. I think even just looking at like, like what we have as like the Oscar contenders this year, there's not really, I guess, yeah, Joker has its haters, but there's not really like, a like I feel like a too much of a disconnect between like films that are hated and films that are like, I like genuinely everything so far that I've seen that like is a big contender this year, which is a, a nice change of pace. And yeah, just, I think that it, especially the second half of the year with all the festivals and things has been really exciting. Yeah, I yeah, think I it's been a pretty great See, I think it's been a pretty great year for film. I know last year I was I, I was kind of disappointed in last year overall. I thought there was a lot of things that either just didn't work for me or um overall I didn't have an amazing time, but this year I'm I'm generally a pretty stingy grader. Uh, movies and I'm looking at my list now I have 27 movies rated 8 or above which is a lot for me and especially a lot of 9s and 10s when normally I give out 
maybe one ten a year at most. I have two this year, so I I I'm, I think this is a great way to end the decade. I think it's an, a decent year. I'm not in love with it. Um, I do think we've had better years, but I do think we definitely had worse. And I will say the back end is a lot stronger than the majority of this year. So that's I how I feel last, too, Lauren. Yeah. Yeah. The last two months have been really good, but the last, you know, 10 have just been like, okay. So I feel like we're ending the year off on a good note, but I am very excited for 2020. Uh, yeah, no, I feel the exact same way about that as well. Um, definitely back heavy, uh, the front, I was definitely kind of like, Oh, I don't know. And I look at like my ranking throughout the year of everything that I've seen. And most of the films that I liked did premiere in the second half of the year. So Mm -hmm. in looking at like some specifics of this year, um, I want to first start off by asking everyone, like, was there a character? Um, when I say a character, an original character. I'm not talking about a character based off of anyone uh, that you know was ever alive. I'm talking about an original character written for the screen. Was there any like new creation that you thought was like pretty iconic and a lot of fun, or anything along those lines, or just interesting? Yep. Oh, without a doubt, uh, Cliff Booth. Yeah, I guess oh, that. I guess yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. How about Ma in Ma? Oh, can't forget about Ma. She's, she's her, she was iconic from the get go. Yeah, she's she's my character for 2019. Like both ironically and also sincerely, she just captures a lot of how I felt about this year in general. Uh, I got to mention Benoit Blanc from Knives Out. Oh, of yeah, course. Of course. And you know, when I say Cliff Booth, I also mean Rick Dalton. You know, they come as a package. They're a great on on screen yes. pairing. I mean, you know, you think back to uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, and I think that there's a lot yeah you can draw upon there for sure, definitely. I haven't seen Uncut Gems yet, but I just have this feeling that uh, Adam Sandler's character Howard is going to be a favorite by the end of the year. I also really love Gigi from Booksmart. I aspire to just not care like she does and just <laughs> Amazing. exactly who she is. Absolutely. So she's up there for me. So good. So, so good. Oh, and Nora for Marriage Story. Can't forget about uh, her and her wonderful uh, yeah. monologue. And <laughs> she just carries herself through life. Uh, what about uh, favorite villains of this year? Was there like a particular uh, villain in any story that really, really jumped out to you? I'm saying Red from Us. I love it. That's a good choice. Yeah, but is she a villain? I, we're not getting into that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love, yes, completely. Her. She might even be my favorite, like just Lupita Nyong'o's two performances as my favorite original character this year. Just that, yeah. So she wasn't necessarily a villain, but Becky something from her smell in terms of somebody yes. who... Is doing her very best to ruin her own life intentionally or not is just really, really compelling to watch. I agree. Oh, that's one of the best characters that I've seen this year in a movie. I, 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 as much as my time with her was so discomforting and I was like really like visibly uncomfortable um, watching that movie, I have to say that I was like, it's like a car crash that you just can't look away from. It was just so fascinating to watch. Um, I, <laughs> Michael will appreciate this. Teflon. Probably my number one villain uh, of 2019. <laughs> Michael, that movie, when I walked out of Dark Waters, I was scared to death to ever make eggs ever again. <laughs> I can't tell you. I immediately called up my mom and I'm like, do you know that Teflon is giving us cancer? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I was freaking out. <laughs> uh, I, I would say, you know, jumping off of that, you know, real world things, not just fictional made up, uh, you know, horrors. 
there was one character who was a real person, but the way that he was played here, you know, just made me see them in a new light. And that is uh, Joe Pesci as Russell Buffalino in The Irishman. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a really, really interesting was character. A, the most menacing villain of 2019. I also want to give a shout out to John Lithgow and what he did with Bombshell for Roger Ailes, only because um, deservedly so the women are definitely getting like the spotlight in that movie. But I do feel that he is unfairly being like kind of cast aside. Um, but his performance in that is really, really, really good. And, um, you know, there are times where it's a bit caricature and he goes a little over the top, I think. But there are these quieter moments where uh, John Lithgow as a great performer as he is. He's able to let, like kind of like that inkling of humanity shine through and show that this is a guy who has like, you know, layers, even though he's utterly reprehensible, despicable, you know, so I, I really, really appreciated that. They aren't on the podcast right now to back this up with me. But earlier in the year, Nicole and Dan saw John Lithgow on Broadway with me as Bill Clinton. So to see him close the year now as Roger Ailes, you know, just, you know, he, he's a great actor if he's able to run the gamut like that. Sure, sure. Uh, all right. So then moving on from that favorite heroes, heroes of 2019. Depends on how you look at the film. But for my money, Song Kang-ho and Parasite. <laughs> <laughs> great choice. Great choice. I love it. This is a really obvious answer, but Harriet Tubman and Harriet. I The movie overall, I, people have kind of correctly said it's fairly mediocre. But I mean, just watching a character like that finally get their due or not character, real life person like that finally get their due on film. And it's like practically a superhero movie was just amazing to watch. I I was going to say, if Casey's allowed to give a morally ambiguous answer, so am I. So I'm going to go again with Cliff Booth. I know he has some shady things in his past, but uh, he saves the day. So or or does he have shady things in his past? It depends how you want to look at that movie. But, you know, we all (laughs) we all see what happens at the end there and want to believe he's the hero. Um, I'm going to shout out someone that's not going to get any awards buzz, not going to get mentioned at all, but just someone that um, I, in terms of their character journey on screen, I was really, really invested in what was going on. And that is uh, Samara Weaving in Ready or Not. She was uh, like one of my favorite heroines this year to just watch her uh, struggle, go through uh, so much crap and then come out the other side laughing, covered in blood. It was awesome. She's my favorite screen queen of the year by far. Yeah. Amazing performance. She was excellent. I love I loved her in that movie. Um, what's another one? Uh, heroes, heroes. Who was someone that I like? I really, really looked up to this year. I really thought the Rogers. <laughs> you know what, Michael? You're talking about the on-screen duo of uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt a lot. I love the on-screen duo of Matt Damon and Christian Bale and Ford v Ferrari. Oh, they were oh, so, good. so good. I I love that their whole thing in terms of like you know looking up to them as heroes. Um, Working together as a team, but also not forgetting like that individual contribution that makes, you know, uh, what their work that they're doing unique and worthwhile and realizing that sometimes you have to compromise in order to achieve something great because, you know, um, the whole is better than the sum of its parts. And like, I don't know, I just I really, really connected with the message of that movie uh, very much so. And if we're going to stick with duo, if we're sticking with duos, I just want to shout out Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron and Longshot, which. Oh, Yes. <laughs> So unlikely you didn't see it coming, but once you see them together, you just love them. That is kind of like uh, a lead into what was going to be the next thing, which was like favorite on screen uh, duos, like pairings this year. And I I was going to mention Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron, who mm-hmm. at first glance, I would think to myself, there's no way they could ever convince me that Charlize Theron would ever fall for Seth Rogen. Like they, they just can't. But when you watch that movie, you really, really buy into their chemistry so freaking much. So uh, for, for people that are listening right now, never underestimate the ability to make a woman laugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, best duo for me is 
Caitlin Deaver and Beanie Feldstein and Booksmart. Absolutely. Hell yes. Mm-hmm. Hell yes. And also Rick and Cliff, of course. Uh, can I just say the, all the old men and the Irishmen? Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 but if I want to take that a step further, um, old men on screen, it's got to be Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price, who uh, honestly, like the moments that I love so much are the relatable human moments like um, – Anthony Hopkins checking out his uh, smartwatch to put in a certain number of steps throughout the day or like things like that. I just found to be so human and relatable. And, you know, it kind of breaks down the barrier that these guys are like looked at as holier than thou. And I thought that on screen pairing was really, really fun this year a lot. Matt, I'm surprised you haven't said the lighthouse. <laughs> um, I, I, I was getting there. I, I really was getting there because uh, honestly, in terms of two handers this year, that is definitely like my number one favorite of all. Uh, that, that, oh my God, that movie, oh my Lord, that movie fucked me up in a great way. (laughs) Great, great way. (laughs) Um, Mindy Kaling, Emma Thompson, going to shout out that one too from a late night. Love their chemistry in that film and Queen and Slim, you know, uh, I want to shout out Queen and Slim for Jodie Turner Smith, who's a new star who deserves to have her name uh, shouted out as much as humanly possible for for that reason. I thought she was quite effective in that movie, and I thought their chemistry on screen was sizzling. I mean, it was palpable. You could really, really feel it. How about old and young Will Smith and Gemini Man? How about not? Because the only person who liked that movie. <laughs> oh, God. I, well, I appreciate that you like that movie, Cody, because somebody has to. I sure did. Since I want to say Rick and Cliff again, I'm going to go with uh, from Pain and Glory. You have Salvador and Alberto. Those scenes are great. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The scene where he's calling into the film festival and the dynamic between the two of them, you know, cutting back and forth. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. I think that's a great moment. Sticking with uh, the foreign language films of this year, uh, Marianne and Helosi uh, from Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, yes. How could you not? I'll also say Jojo and Yorkie. Oh, oh Jojo yeah. and Yorkie. <laughs> oh, my God, my heart. <laughs> okay. Uh, so moving on then from that, uh, well, let's also talk about um, – I, I know we kind of also touched upon this a little bit uh, here as well. But what about like, so, like some breakout performances from this year? Was there anyone that like on screen uh, really stood out to you that you're like, oh, that person is a star after watching the movie? Roman Griffith-Davies. Both of them, yes. That's my two. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I cannot deny that those kids are phenomenal. Um, Kelvin Harrison Jr. I would be remiss if I did not mention how much he just blew up this year with Loose and Waves. Yes. And I know he's been in stuff before, but this year was like really I think his real breakout year in that regard. I won't say Florence Pugh because I believe Lady mm-hmm. Macbeth was her breakout role, but she too had a stellar year, and I'll like just sort of slightly mention her. <laughs> How about Divine Joy Randolph in Dolmite is my name? Great choice. Yeah. Love it. Great breakout performance. Fantastic, amazing work. Uh, what about, um, I, I want to I wanna highlight, uh, I'm gonna, I hope I say his name right, uh, Vivek Kalra as Javed from Blinded by the Light. Yes, uh, my I'm trying to think of like some indie okay. like movies. Uh, Zach God, oh, Zach God, it's God's again from um, uh, The Peanut Butter Falcon. Oh, yeah. A number one. Oh, you know who I really love? 
And she had a really terrific year on television as well. Margaret Qualley from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. She did have a good year. Yeah. yeah. I, Michael, what is up with the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood love? Come on, diversify uh, here. That, that <laughs> is one of my favorite, favorite movies. Not just of the year, but you know, you'll see later of the decade. So I'm happy to always give that a shout out. Yeah, I, I just want you to be happy to say other things too. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I know she's good, but, like, Meredith Weaver was amazing in her scene for Marriage Story. <laughs> Taylor Russell in Waves. Don't yeah. Oh. She's won a couple of awards for that this year, actually, yeah. for Breakout, and uh, she re- rightfully deserves it, I think. Um, I also want to shout out Noah Jupe. He had a phenomenal year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know some people would probably say that he broke out with Quiet Place, but I think Honey Boy is, like, just on a, another level. To another level, yeah. Yeah. Oh, come on. There's one more here. Oh, uh, Last Black Man in San Francisco. I have to mention Jimmy Fails and Jonathan Majors and also uh, director Joe Talbot as well. Um, like, I feel like all three of them are just like really exciting new voices on the scene. I can't wait to see what else they do next. Uh, this is a good point for me to say that if we're leaving stuff off, um, I, I, I apologize. It is what it is. We're kind of doing this on the fly. We didn't have this prepared. So, <laughs> yeah. Plus, some of us haven't seen everything yet. So Yeah, there's also that. Yeah, there's also that. Uh, let's also now, uh, why don't we talk about, you know, something that uh, I, I always like to discuss. Were there any trailers this year that stood out to you all? I loved the 1917 trailer. Hell yeah. yeah that was Is great. Is it the, the one with the song that was like the, the full-length trailer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the first yeah. original like full-length. I was just like, whoa. Like I, I teared up at that in the theater, and I'm just like, what's happening to me? <laughs> I also got to give a shout-out to the Uncut Gems trailer. Uh, yeah. That was one of yes. the, no pun intended, best-cut trailers I've seen this year, hands down. I, love I loved when trailer. they had Marriage Story and they did the two uh, small trailers. That was good. Yeah, that was a good marketing idea. I also loved the first original Frozen 2 trailer where it was Elsa on the beach. Mm, yeah. Saw that for the first time. That was jaw dropping. Not to repeat myself, but the trailer for Ma uh, made me more <laughs> excited every single time I saw it. It is ridiculous <laughs> and campy and knew exactly what kind of movie is advertising. Oh, oh, and speaking of, similarly, the first Cats trailer. I mean, the the day that was released. Was <laughs> How like, can we ever later. forget that moment in history? <laughs> I also that should win live action edit. short film. <laughs> Whoever um, edited that trailer to the cover from the Us trailer you win something. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, I know that I know that trailer premiered last year, but the Us trailer was really well done as yeah. well. Yeah, that's a good that's a good call. Um I also want to shout out the trailer for Joker only because I I think that prior to seeing the trailer, um I think we all had maybe an idea of like what it was going to be like, was it going to, you know, be like another DC universe uh, suicide squad type of a thing, but when we all watched that trailer we were like, "Whoa, this has like good cinematography and it's taking like a really different tone than we all expected it would take. And uh, I I think that the marketing behind that movie did a really good job of selling that movie for exactly uh, what it was. You know what I mean? Instead of trying to sell it as a big budget, like blockbuster film. All right. So then uh, other than that, I mean, honestly, like looking at 2019, like kind of taking a step back here and uh, looking at the year as a whole, I'm curious to know, like in terms of a movie theater experience, um, was there anything like just the power of being in a theater this year? Was there anything unique or anything that really stands out to you all? Not about the movie itself, but just like in terms of, I mean, it is a little bit about the movie. Yeah. But something about like, you could only get this in the movie theater. Uh, I would the... say seeing a certain Quentin Tarantino film in July was <laughs> a great experience for me. But why, but why, why, why in the movie theater? 
just because it's such an epic experience and seeing that, you know, on a movie on such a large scale on a big screen with great sound and cinematography, it just, you know, was a movie that benefits from being in a theater. That was me with Hustlers. I saw with a sold out audience of people of all different ages from all different walks of life. And as soon as the music started and JLo did her thing, I was next to like an elderly couple and one girl was like, oh my God, she's fantastic. So <laughs> that was <laughs> like, me, you sorry. can't get that by, yeah, you can't get that <laughs> when you're watching it like on your TV, you just can't do it. Uh, watching Parasite with the full theater, the mm-hmm. the whole movie, there was so many visceral audience reactions, but specifically the peach montage culminating oh, yeah. in the hot sauce packet. My audience was losing their mind. The yeah. gasping and like just the laughing and just like yeah. disbelief. Yeah, really. That was work. a good one. I definitely agree with you on that. I would say for me, I, I, I had I have two that really, really stand out. Um, one is being at the Hamptons Film Festival and watching Knives Out, which for me was the most entertaining uh, movie I saw this year in terms of like just my overall enjoyment. I had a smile on my face the entire time. And when it was over, um, maybe because I was just so honed in, I didn't realize it while I was watching it. But when it was actually over, um, my audience hated the movie. And I realized it's because it was criticizing them. And that was like, that was just such a unique, interesting experience for me. I was like laughing my ass off on the car ride home. I thought it was so ironic and so funny. Were you watching it in a wine cave? I know, oh but I it, like, I'm telling you, Michael, like just these sweater wearing salt and pepper, you rich know, people. rich people. Exactly. <laughs> just like, Oh, it was hysterical. I will also say seeing the Irishman in New York City in a theater was one of the coolest things. And on the flip side of that, seeing Irishman in Philly and all those little references, like during the big dinner scene when they mentioned Frank Rizzo and half people are cheering and half people are booing. I was like, this is great. (laughs) Yep. That probably happened at every single screening around here. The one guy booed and then one guy cheered and the rest of the audience booed that guy. Yeah. Both times I saw it, that happened. I cannot undersell how special it was to wake up at 7 a.m., head over to Lincoln Center for the world premiere, the first screening ever of The Irishman at New York Film Festival at 9 a.m. in the morning, getting online outside with a bunch of other film critics and colleagues and all of us kind of like talking prior to going in. And this was also like in the aftermath of TIFF and Telluride. So a lot of us were just talking about like everything going on and like, where is this movie going to fit in with the overall conversation? Is it going to be a disaster? Is it going to bomb? And just being there and seeing like Martin Scorsese and like these acting legends in, in person, then talk about the movie afterwards. It just like the aura of that, you know, was something that I, I I can't, I can't even begin to describe Uh, that really stood out to me a lot. And then my last one uh, was definitely, uh, you know, and kind of tying to the movie itself a little bit more. There is a moment in uh, 1917 that uh, it's not a sad moment. It's not like a moment that would elicit tears from you normally. But there is this one moment in the movie where the combination of just the big screen, the sound, kind of like what you would describe in there, Michael, with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood – um, the camera movement and the music from Thomas Newman elicited such an emotional reaction from me that I started crying watching the film in a moment that honestly one should not be crying during. <laughs> but it just it spoke to me that this is like the power of cinema and what it can do to you when you have that 
uh, sensational experience of all your senses just like kind of being engaged. You know what I mean? So that was really cool. All right. Other than that, um, once again, I'm sure we're leaving stuff off and forgetting a lot of things, but that's okay. You know, we'll have uh, plenty of other experiences in the future to talk about in the years to come. Oh, boy, I just said years. Anyway, uh, so moving on now to our second trailer uh, for this podcast, Joe Wright. Oh, man, Joe Wright is back. And so is Amy Adams in the much-anticipated The Woman in the Window, which has been delayed and pushed off multiple times. Well, we finally got a trailer for it. It is being released in May of 2020. Uh, Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. Let's give some thoughts. I'm Anna Fox. There are some things that need to be said about me. I have an anxiety disorder. I live across the street. My mom asked me to give you this. I'm not prepared for visitors. I'm a agoraphobic. I can't go outside. let some of the outside come in your neighbor from across the street pretty sure you're not supposed to be taking these with alcohol <laughs> her name is jane russell she's become a friend like your earrings oh thanks a gift from an old boyfriend does your husband mind our family's complicated She's been stabbed. NYPD. Why is he here? Mr. Russell believes that you made a mistake. You have never met my wife. We spent the evening together. I'm Jane Russell. She's not Jane. I know what I saw. Your doctor said that your meds can cause hallucinations. Why are you protecting them? They're all hiding something. Her earring, it's in their house. You're playing with the wrong family. Do they know you're here alone? 911? I think somebody is in my house. Don't go looking into other people's houses. You won't like what you see. Oh boy. Whack. I can't wait. This looks like a hot mess. <laughs> I'm oh. excited too. <laughs> but, but yeah, I agree that there might be something. I mean, it's very, very clear that it's going to be one of two things. It's either going to be extremely campy and it's going to lean into that the same way something like Ma did, Cody, and it's going to be enjoyable and fun, or it's going to take itself way too seriously and it's going to just be trashy and bad. And it's going to be like, what was that one with Emily Blunt again? Girl on the, um, Girl on the train. Girl on the train. It's going to be like that. Which coincidentally is from the director of Ma. So there you go. They are, I think, trying to market this as like a, you know, they, they said in the trailer, like Gone Girl and things yeah. like that. And it's like, oh, I can already tell it's not. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember, Joe Wright has a pattern. He does just good bad, good bad. Yep. 
So yeah, in terms of like Oscar glory and then like flop, Oscar glory flop, that sort of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. For every atonement, there's a pan. Yeah. Yep. So. <sighs> I mean, we're, we're, we're obviously going for the actresses here. I mean, Julianne Moore, Amy Adams. I mean, come on. Yeah, we love I don't her. know what Gary Oldman's up to lately. You know, he's fine in Darkest Hour or whatever. But this, like, shtick with the accent that he was doing in the laundromat looks like it carried over here. Yeah, I, I agree. I also don't really know from watching this, like, what this is really about. Which maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. At least it doesn't. But it, maybe it just gives, like, you know, that who knows at what point in the runtime that, like, discovery that that's a different person and all those things i'm like wait but also did anyone see the tweet because it opens up with her like vlogging or whatever someone like posted that picture with the two screens and then was like hey it's kayla back with another video (laughs) 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 that's fantastic oh my god i love it yeah so good so so good ah that's fantastic all right. Uh, I, I don't really have anything else to provide for this one. I wish I had more to say, but um, it, that trailer just did nothing for me. Yeah. I can all say this We're is just... probably not going to be the Amy Adams Oscar we were all hoping for. Nope. No, no but at least I get Jennifer level. Jason Lee in a bad wig. So. <laughs> <laughs> bad wig? Uh, I think Gary Oldman is slowly transitioning into his character from Friends. Well, good luck with that. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss. These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers Podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners. So if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love, movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, no, let's no. talk stop, about stop, this. Stop, 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 shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. And shut I wonder who the cat can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Oh, uh, really quick, I want to just uh, mention uh, that it's the holidays this week. All right, we have Hanukkah, we have Christmas. Um, so really quickly, I just want to kind of like go around and um, I want to just uh, give you all an opportunity to just, you know, happily and, uh, you know, merrily uh, express if there's any holiday movies that you all enjoy. So uh, have at it. What do you guys like? I have to say my um, one of my favorite movies for, you know, just thinking about those most important around you and um the 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 joy of connecting with your fellow man is uh eyes wide shut yes cody <laughs> cody one of my favorite christmas movies oh cody for the win the movie seriously is lit with like a lot of christmas lights so it doesn't not have the aura of christmas time my favorite holiday movies are the ones that are not holiday movies but they take place during christmas those are the best like like carol or yep, yeah. eyes wide shut Dude, oh, I am so happy you said that because that was what I was going to say. And I love that movie. I just rewatched it recently and I just stand so hard for Stanley Kubrick. I, you, y'all can't ever take that away from me. I will stand that man till the grave. You know, it, it's it is just so it is. iconic that <sighs> the final word in any Stanley Kubrick movie is fuck. I mean, yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. 
Fantastic. Cody, Fantastic. can't forget Hustlers is a Christmas movie. It is. <laughs> oh my god, you're right. Yo, I was at the Netflix uh, Christmas party and I t- and they uh, they had us um write down on our name tags like your favorite Christmas movie and um I asked someone, hey, what's that movie this year that came out that everyone was saying on the internet recently that this qualifies now as a Christmas movie and. Nobody said Hustlers. The answer was Hustlers. That was what I was thinking of, and I found that out later. But somebody then said to me, you know, hey, listen, if you really want to, like, you know, uh, you know, be funny, like, you just write The Irishman. And I was like, oh, that's hysterical. I'm definitely oh, writing yeah. that down. It's a Christmas movie. Christmas movie. <laughs> mm. It's Christmas? <laughs> you know, you have two categories of Christmas movies. You have the ones that are all about Christmas, like It's a Wonderful Life or White Christmas, Miracle and 34. Which, Street, FYI, all. we are reviewing It's a Wonderful Life on the podcast this week. Yeah, so keep an eye out for that to drop. Uh, so those are your, you know, movies about Christmas, but then you have movies that feature Christmas scenes. Like you said, Hustlers before, but then you also, of course, have The Apartment or Carol or Little Women, even uh, any version of that. Little Women's Maybe a great example. Lewis, they're all great. Yeah. But... This is the one time of year where I can talk about the one Hanukkah movie that we have. And maybe that'll change this week with Uncut Gems. But Oh, oh Michael, time, it is going to change with Uncut Gems. I'm warning you now. <laughs> I, I am so excited. I'm going on Fantastic. Wednesday or Thursday during Hanukkah. It'll be the Hanukkah miracle this week. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Chag Sameach, everyone. But <laughs> once upon a time, Adam Sandler did another Hanukkah movie that I hold near and dear to my heart for yes! nostalgic reasons. <laughs> And that is none other than Eight Crazy Nights. Michael, can I just say for the record? That's a technical flaw. <laughs> oh, that is the guiltiest, guiltiest pleasure, I think, in my entire life, that movie. I recognize that it is awful, but I quote it, laugh at it. I, I find that movie hysterical. <laughs> the, the Whitey and Eleanor dialogue I have memorized by heart. My friends and I used to do uh, performances of bum bitty 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 bum bum at Hebrew yeah. school week after week. This is uh, not a particularly good film, but one I will happily sit down and watch every Hanukkah because it's all we have. Until Uncut Gems, that is. So I guess that we have a new tradition forming of the Adam Sandler Hanukkah uh, movie marathon. You also have the end of Call Me By Your Name. <laughs> hey, that's yes. a good that's a good shout out. I love it. That. Yes, that does count as a holiday movie. Okay. Yeah. Eight so Crazy Nights, Call Me By Your Name, Uncut Gems, Happy Hanukkah. I would also be remiss <laughs> if I did not mention Batman Returns, Die Hard uh, for Christmas movies. I am also one of those people that watches The Nightmare Before Christmas during Halloween and Christmas. So there's that. Uh, and, and yeah, like the traditional Christmas movies, like Miracle on 34th Street or It's a Wonderful Life, like we were talking about before. Yeah. I, I would also highly recommend if you want an older film that has some Christmas in it, All That Heaven Allows from Douglas Sirk has a moment with a television gifted for Christmas that is, just watch it. It's, I think it's on Amazon Prime or you can buy The Criterion. It's the Criterion great. is so good. Oh, <laughs> so the restoration good. on that is amazing. Douglas Sirk movies are just inherently Christmassy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I, and I, and by, by extension, same with uh, Todd Haynes. Yeah. Yeah. You, you do we the said Carol, yes. Even Dark Waters has a Christmas scene. Love it. <laughs> Always. I'm sure that this exists, but I'm sure there is a movie podcast out there that only exclusively reviews movies that have a Christmas scene in them. I'm sure. There has to be one. Um, if, if anyone knows what it is, please message me on Twitter. I would be very, very curious to, to hear about it. I don't know about a podcast. There's a book. Uh, Alonzo Duralde, who works at The Wrap, has a Have Yourself a Movie Little Christmas. I love which, it. You know, That's hysterical. Talks about, talks about famous Christmas scenes and Christmas movies. So, Oh, 
I'm, I'm going to buy that on Amazon later for myself. That, that sounds excellent. I want it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, let's move over to the polls. And then uh, we'll talk about our final trailer and then fan questions. So uh, last week's poll uh, for Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, we asked everyone which is their favorite Star Wars film. We asked them to choose up to three so that we could get a pretty good ranking in place. And we have our official ranking. So, oh, here we go. Um, All right. Interesting results here from the bottom up. Last place, shockingly, by two votes, is The Phantom Menace. No, that's the worst. Is it, though? No. Attack of the Clones is worse. Yeah. The next one, by two votes more, is Attack of the Clones, and I would flop those two. See, see, I think it's kind of cool seeing all the Jedi fight as, like, Jedi. That's, that's, yeah, I guess, I think Attack of the Clones definitely has moments, yeah, but I think Phantom Menace is a better story and better movie overall. Yeah, Attack of the Clones is just so ugly. It's so (laughs) horrible looking. Uh, Next up is uh, Solo, uh, which, yeah, I wouldn't say Solo is a bad movie. I just think it's very, like, like, very forgettable. Unneeded. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, now, oh my God, wow, the next one is, is Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Oh my god! Oh boy! Oh boy! That I think that movie is gonna like Last Jedi. I think that we will debate, we will talk, we'll we'll have opinions, and I I think time will be overall very kind to this new trilogy. I I do believe that. I mean, time's been kind to the prequels, and who would have ever thought that would have happened? <laughs> uh, next up is uh, Revenge of the Sith, which is definitely the best of the prequel films. So that's cool. Uh, next one above that uh, in the number, what is it, six? Uh, yeah, number six slot is uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Number five is Return of the Jedi. Number four is The Force Awakens. Number three is The Last Jedi. All right, good, 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 good. <laughs> I I love The Last Jedi. It might be my favorite Star Wars. And I was I was a little worried that the readers would have the wrong opinion, but they didn't. So good and job. you all know where this is going. Number two is A New Hope. And number one is The Empire Strikes go. Back. There we go. <laughs> That's the correct answer. Yeah. Yeah. So good on the readership for placing The Last Jedi that high. I think that in hindsight, now that we've seen like where this whole story has gone, I think time is going to be even kinder to The Last Jedi, I think. Yeah. Just in the same way that mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Back wasn't really loved when it first came out, I think Last Jedi will have a very similar trajectory. Drop that fucking mic, Cody. <laughs> 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 totally agreed. Uh, also, too, in recapping uh, the end of the decade, uh, we did put a poll up asking everyone which is their favorite child performances of the decade. Uh, we received quite a bit of votes on this one. Let's take a look at the results and see how they all uh, came out. So uh, first off, some write-ins that we received, uh, some people that were uh, not on the uh, poll listed, but uh, some people felt compelled to uh, write their names down. Uh, we got Jack Dylan Grazer for It. Millie Shapiro for Hereditary. I apologize. That one was left off the list and definitely should have been on there. Uh, Hunter McCracken for The Tree of Life was another one that came up. Uh, Kylie uh, Curran, a new one for Dr. Sleep. Uh, you're a fan of that movie, uh, Cody. Do you agree with that With that write-in? She's, she's good. Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I like that movie. She's not the thing I walk out excited about, but... It- not bad. Serum Sray Mosh for first they killed my father. Mm. Was never was never right in. Yeah. Let's get let's get to it here. Let's see what we got. 
Uh, number 15. Militia Simmons for A Quiet Place, number 15. Number 14 is Sonny Pawar from Lion. Oh. 13 is Eller Coltrane from Boyhood. Yay. 12, Caitlin Dever for Short Term 12. 11, Thomas and McKenzie for Leave No Trace. And now we come to the top 10. Top 10, top 10, top 10. Number 10, Oscar nominee Quevenjene Wallace for Beasts of the Southern Wild. Number nine is Alex Hibbert for Moonlight. Aww. Number eight is Tom Holland for The Impossible. I can hear a Nicole. Stars Born moment for sure. Yeah. yeah. Number seven is Roman Griffin Davis for Jojo Rabbit. Yay, buddy. <laughs> uh, number six is Haley Steinfeld for True Grit. Oh, she should have won that Oscar. She should have won that Oscar. Number five, Noah Jupe for Honey Boy. Good boy. Number four, Daphne Keene for Logan. That was great. Are you guys watching his Dark Materials? I'm not. Is it good? Yeah, it's pretty pretty solid. I like it. I think she's good in it. Directed by Tom Hooper. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let's move away from that conversation. Number three is Brooklyn Prince for The Florida Project. Yay. Like performance. She's so good oh. in that. Number two, Gucci, it's Elsie Fisher from Eighth Grade. Yes. And number one is Jacob Tremblay for Should've Room. Should have been nominated. Uh, Should have won. Absolutely. My boy. Uh, I will forever be mad about that. It's maybe the best child performance of all time. It's it's mm-hmm. unbelievable work. Yeah. Ugh. The yeah, movie doesn't work there. without him working. Yeah. No, it's like up there with Anna Paquin and Tatum O'Neill. So we have asked the community uh, for their opinions on a couple of different end-of-the-decade polls uh, for the last couple of weeks here. Uh, we are now at a point where we are now going to ask them uh, which is their favorite films of the decade. It's going to be quite a massive poll. I hope to God I will be able to somehow compile all the answers together and put something together that makes sense. Uh, but I will have that up uh, hopefully pretty soon for everyone. And on top of that, uh, for this week's poll, we are asking everyone which is their favorite film of 2019. So feel free to provide uh, your answers for that. Um, and just because, like you know, we're talking to the community right now, and we're about to, uh, you know, we'll talk about our final trailer, and then we'll answer some questions from the community. I do want to let everyone know that the ballots for the MVP Film Community Awards are going out very, very shortly. I don't have an exact date yet. I'm working on them right now, but I promise you they are going out. So be on the lookout for that. They will be out there very soon. Obviously, I want to give everyone a chance to be able to catch up on some things because, you know, if you're not in New York or L.A., it can be a little tough sometimes to catch some of these, uh, you know, late-breaking releases. And sometimes they get pushed to January. So I want to be able to give people an opportunity to see everything. All right, last trailer. Christopher Nolan's got a new film, guys, coming in 2020. Who's that? Yeah. It's called Tenet. And it stars John David Washington, Robert Pattinson, Elizabeth Debicki. Who is six foot three? Oh, boy. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one and let's give some thoughts. We all believe we've run into the burning building. But until we feel that heat, we can never know. You do. You chose to die instead of giving up your colleagues. That test you passed? Not everybody does. 
Welcome to the afterlife. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War III. Nuclear holocaust? No. Something worse. All I have for you is a word. Tell it. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones, too. You have to start looking at the world in a new way. Try to understand it. Feel it. It'll happen here. Hasn't happened yet. I am so glad my boy Christopher Nolan is back doing the shit he belongs to do. We this are done great. with the boring, like historic, get me the Oscar nomination stuff. We're back to the gritty, complicated sci-fi action, mind-bending stuff. Yeah, somebody was saying online that this looked like a hybrid of like Memento and Inception. And I kind of dig that. Right, both those movies kicked off their respective decades. So it's like he's something he has to do every 10 years. Yeah, he's got to kick, he knows he's got to kick off the decade. Does anyone think, though, that the uh, and listen, I understand that this is like his thing and nobody else does it other than him. But does, is anybody getting a little I don't want to say tired, but is anyone like wishing that he would branch out off and do something different other than movies about time? Well, I mean, that's his thing, I guess. That, yeah, that's what I mean. It is his thing. Yeah. It's the thing that he'll be most remembered for, how he played with time structurally, with editing, with like thematically in terms of his screenplay. Like this guy is a guy who's just like fascinated by this. And this will probably be the one unifying uh, thing that defines his filmography in the end. Um, I I don't know. It's kind of like with Quentin Tarantino. I wish that he would do something other than Westerns all the time, you know, Um, but I don't know. That's just me. I mean, when he like runs, when the well runs dry and we don't like those movies anymore, then I'll say yes. But he has yet to kind of make a bad film. Yeah, <laughs> so and he always seems to I'm be okay talking it. I've always respected what he does, but it's always been hard for me to really connect with his work outside of, uh, you know, a handful of things. For instance, you know, I thought Interstellar was sort of a mess, but Dunkirk is one of my favorite movies of the decade. So, uh, you know, this will be interesting because I was very intrigued by this trailer uh, it looks like it's, of course, in that world of Memento and Inception, both of which I had my own reservations about. But it looks like with this cast, you know, John David Washington is really dynamic. And uh, I'm intrigued to see what he's doing here because the trailer definitely caught my attention. Yeah, I'm excited to see John David Washington back on screen again. I thought Black Klansman was huge for him for obvious reasons. And yeah. I'm just really, really excited to see a person of color like lead a Christopher Nolan film now. And mm-hmm. also to the inclusion of Robert Pattinson, who has just been making stellar career choice after stellar career choice. And Elizabeth Debicki, like I remember as the cast was being announced for this, it was like, holy hell, like this is really shaping up to be something really exciting. And then, of course, you've got 
Michael Caine, who shows up. It's not a Christopher Nolan film without Michael Caine. And <laughs> that, that is just like, you know, awesome. Uh, I'm really, really excited for this for all the natural reasons that we should be excited for a Christopher Nolan film. Um, I'm just hoping that... I will say this. I think that if any film is going to be the film where the well does run dry, like Cody said, it could be this one because hopefully he... I feel like his movies surprise people, but I'm wondering if we're getting to a point where it's starting to become somewhat predictable. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The budget for this one is insane. Yeah, I, I've heard that that this is like supposedly the biggest movie of his career. Really? And I don't know if we got so much the sense of that from this teaser. I imagine another trailer later, maybe with updated visual effects or something, might showcase that. Because to me, it doesn't look any more bigger than something like Inception, no? Right. Yeah. Well, I like that the yeah. trailer... And yeah, and I like that the trailer hit as much as possible because Christopher Nolan's one of the few directors whose name gets people in the door. So they know they'll make money off this unless it's a terrible. So I like that they're kind of withholding stuff for a surprise. Yeah. Also, too, I did feel like uh, the the trailer itself, not not in terms of like the way it's edited or um, anything like that, but like one moment that this that called me back to Inception's trailer was like, you know, in the trailer for Inception, it's like it's called Inception. Like that's a line at one point. And then here it's like it's like I have a word for you, tenant. And I'm like, God oh, damn God. it. I'm like, it's like so it's like playing off of the exact same marketing as like his previous films do. And uh, I don't know. Anyway, I know it sounds like I'm complaining. I actually am excited. I just am worried that more of the same is going to result in a kind of a meh reaction to this movie when it comes out. I mean, the, you know, reverse time shit looks cool, at least. Yeah, it looks so cool. I will gladly see this in IMAX. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. What was what was that the whole thing they were doing? Hashtag maximum effect. <laughs> you <just laughs> saw that? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, hashtag like see this in IMAX for maximum effect. I'm like, okay, cool. Thank you. Hey everyone, I'm Aaron. And I'm Patrick. And together we host the Feelin' Film Podcast, a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive and keep feeling film. Let's wrap it up with some fan questions here, people. What do we got here? Jeffrey Kerr asks, could you see Jennifer Lopez's Oscar campaign this year following a similar trajectory as Sylvester Stallone's campaign for Creed a few years ago? Short answer, yes. Okay, I say this. I say this every time there's somebody getting nominated for the first time who's had a career full of semi-not-Oscar-nominated movies. They don't give prizes to people that they, um, this is maybe sounding mean, but like have not respected or don't like. I'm looking at like Eddie Murphy and Dreamgirls, Mickey Rourke and The Wrestler, Michael Keaton and Birdman, Sylvester Stallone, all these people who get the nomination and then um, there's like a nice campaign for them to possibly win. They just don't really award those type of performers, unfortunately. So I think JLo is good for a nomination, but I, I don't don't think she's going to win. The difference between her and Stallone is that she's well-liked. Yeah, she's also like, there was some mysterious places that he could kind of miss, whereas she's so far, been everywhere, so, you know. Yeah, but she's still not going to win. 
No, and I think that's also the difference was like we all like there was a point where we thought he was going to win that, whereas, you mm-hmm. know, for her, the nomination is the win. At Damien Sport One asks, do you agree that the Irishman might get a ton of nominations, but it won't win a single award? Maybe screenplay in the end, like Gangs of New York. I do remember hearing this said somewhere else. Um, so they're posing the question to us. What do you guys think? You think Irishman gets double digits and then walks away with nothing? No, I think at least no. with at least one or two. Yeah. Yeah, it's winning something. I well, what's the most likely to win? I I really don't think it's taking editing. Just looking at the past like decade of winners, they go for flashy most editing. I mean, just look at last year, and Irishman is not that as well edited as it is. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I do think its best chance right now is adapted screenplay. I think, yeah, adapted screenplay, or maybe Pacino if they really get that going. But Pesci's had the critics' love so far, so I don't know. I was gonna say makeup, but. You know, that's over. Yep. Uh, visual effects could still happen because um, if it gets nominated and it is the only Best Picture nominee amongst that group, statistically, that bodes well for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, assuming it gets the nomination there, I think it'll win. Right, exactly. Uh, by the way, if it misses a nomination, are we ready to say Avengers Endgame uh, wins a visual effects award? No. No. Okay. After last no. year, no. <laughs> I think they go with Star Wars in that case, which looks gorgeous, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it, both of them would be a case of more of the same. It feels like. Um, I mean, a Marvel movie has yet to win visual effects, and yeah, I, I'll be very. It'll be very interesting to see if Irishman does not get a nomination for visual effects. It will be very interesting. Well, then it might go to 1917 if they give it to that. But if neither of those are in the category, I think it's Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Michael. Luca Gilberti asks, what are your thoughts on uh, the conversation around Little Women? Uh, ooh, yeah. So here's here's what's going on right now. Have you guys read these reports that Little Women is apparently like just not being seen by men within, within the Academy? Yeah, I've heard that yeah. from like multiple. I know there was like a big tweet then articles and things have gone out about it, but like, yeah. Which is just ridiculous in my, like, totally. Uh, like, I'm very, like, I got I got visibly angry when I read this. Um, because you have, you, have a, you have a responsibility and an obligation as a voter. Mm-hmm. You know, if you didn't have that and you were just somebody, okay, fine. You know, watch whatever you want to watch. But if you're a film critic or if you are a voting member of some group, hell, maybe you're both, you know, a voting member and a critic. I don't know. In this case, uh, we're talking an Academy voter. Um, you, I think, have an obligation to see everything. That's just my that's just my opinion, though. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's like disappointing, but not surprising because it reminds me of how you read those. And I stopped reading them because they would just depress me. Those like anonymous Oscar voter interviews where they always seem to seek out the absolute worst interviewer who's like, I didn't watch anything. And it just is. Yeah, you got to be better about this, guys. Yeah, if it's your job to respect your art form and to represent what your brand sh- feels, you it's your literal job. You're not just an average moviegoer anymore. It's your job to sit there and watch and see what new artists are doing, whether if they're men, women, and black, white, creed, or whatever that they are. Like You have that obligation to see their point of view, and the fact that you just straight up won't is just rude. And also, too, I want to also say on the other end of this conversation, if you see the movie and you don't like the movie, be honest. 
I'm seeing a lot of people who are always backpedaling all the time because they're afraid of how they will come across for not liking um, the 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 like the pro feminist movie or whatever it is, and it's like. Be honest. I think that your readership or anyone in life will respect you more if you are like honest and you don't try to, you know, dance around it. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, if you're giving time to see the film, um, that's all people want at the end of the day. They want their film to be seen. Yeah. You know, what the reaction is, I mean, we've seen plenty of times before with divisive reactions to stuff like Last, like Last Jedi, as we said before. Time will tell all, you know. So I, I don't think people should be so concerned about like their thoughts on a movie initially because things get reevaluated and like discussed and things just change over time, you know. And there's no such thing as a perfect movie. Someone's not gonna like it, and that's okay. Right. Exactly. So go see Little Women. It's awesome. I'm so excited. E W dot two four eight zero asks: Name a movie that may completely surprise on Oscar nomination morning, changing the complexion of some races. So, for example, he says, "What if Pain and Glory gets in for Banderas, crew, screenplay, international film, etc." Uh, so, do you guys think that there is a movie, not that you want, but you actually do believe it could happen that it surprises on nomination morning, maybe overperforms, and it's like, "Whoa, we have to rethink this." I'm not predicting it, but there's a world where Uncut Gems gets like five or six nominations without trying. Mm. I don't really have it currently anywhere, but I mean, it could do screenplay, editing, director, picture, actor without even blinking. Sound I mean, mixing, want, maybe. People even. really like it. Sound mixing. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. were talking about this on the mm. podcast the other day. I was like saying, you know, remember when David Lynch got like a lone director nomination for Mulholland Drive? Scorsese did the same thing with like Last Temptation of Christ. Like mm-hmm. that director branch is so freaking weird. What? <laughs> if Josh and Benny Safdie did just show up for Uncut Gems, you know what I mean? Like, it would be crazy, but it would be so in line with what that branch uh, does from time to time. I still do maintain that Uncut Gems is probably uh, the first reformed of this year where uh, the push is for Hawk. It's a critically well-liked movie. Uh, You know, Hawk wins a couple of critics awards, but he doesn't show up at like the places where it mattered. SAG, Golden Globe, Adam Sandler is following this trajectory, but the film got a screenplay nomination. So there is a good chance that Uncut Gem shows up on nomination morning with like maybe just like a lone editing nomination or something like that. Like it's an also ran like and you know that it was in the hunt for some stuff, but it just it, it couldn't break through. But maybe it breaks through somewhere just in one area, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't think that would change the complexity of anything, but like, no. Bombshell, for example, though, overperforming maybe on nomination morning might change uh, some stuff. You know, maybe it might be a show of strength for uh, Margot Robbie and presents her as a challenger event to Laura Dern, potentially. Um, That's something I could see happening. Okay. Scott Kernan asks, based on the directing category, are we absolutely certain that the core four directors, those being Bong Joon-ho, Martin Scorsese, Sam Mendes, and Quentin Tarantino, are completely safe? Or is there room potentially for one of them to miss and there will be two open slots? There's always a I weird mean, big director snub. Yeah, I wouldn't say they're all locked. It's possible, but there's no way right now based on precursors to predict who it's going to be, unfortunately. So if you're going to predict a snub, you kind of have to just have to wing it. Yeah. I mean, none of us predicted Bradley Cooper to miss last year. No. Uh, some people were saying it could happen. Do you feel do you feel like that right now with anybody? Like it, like rumblings of this could happen? If anyone of that four, maybe Sam Mendes, but I'm not going to bet on that. 
I think maybe a month ago I would have said Tarantino, but his film's done really well so far with yeah. Critics and Guild, so I can't yeah. really say that. Yeah. And then like kind of the opposite with Martin Scorsese, but I'm also not going to take him out because he's Scorsese, so I don't I don't really know. Yeah, maybe maybe Sam Mendes only out of like that film coming out late, it not you know having other, but I don't know because like from the people that have said it, it's such a directing showcase. Like it's hard. It's hard to say, and he's been in everywhere. People might think it's more of a cinematography showcase than a directing showcase. There you go. Yeah, like I've been talking to people and them saying, like, I could totally see a world where it gets everything below the line, but then it misses Mendes. And then I've been agreeing with that. But then as the season's been progressing, it's just been getting traction and traction and traction. Yeah. So, yeah, it's hard. But I, again, I wouldn't say that they're all locked. Yeah. Yeah, with Mendes, I mean, it just feels like that Hacksaw Ridge Dunkirk nomination that they love to do but this yeah. has also the advantage of a really strong directorial choice with the one shot thing which yes that's cinematography but also it's direction yeah uh, this is also kind of tying into director uh, Isaiah Washington asks can Taika Waititi become a surprise nominee for director if he gets into DGA I think if anyone gets a DGA nomination um, they are definitely in the hunt for obvious reasons um, I don't yeah. believe DGA will match up with Oscar uh, 5 for 5 it rarely does uh, with that said, I do suspect our DGA five is going to be the four we mentioned before, plus Bombback, which is going to obviously just confuse us more because then most of us will predict Bombback will miss and somebody else will get in. Mm-hmm. Who will it be? I don't know. But that's where, um, you know, uh, God, I, I kind of want it to actually be something different, though. I really, really want it to be a scenario where Todd Phillips gets the DGA nomination instead. I was just going to say, I would not be surprised at all if he's the fifth one. They right. But then, but then, like, as I've said on a previous podcast, I feel like if that does happen, I think that he's the one that doesn't get the corresponding Oscar nomination. And Right. Just like Peter yeah. Haley last year, I'm not going to predict him even if he gets DGA. It's right. almost like now we need to look to BAFTA director to really predict. What the <laughs> yeah, do. Paul Polakowski last year, guys, you know, yep. which, you know, I mean, there is a world. Um, Michael, you said this early, early buzz died down. You know, some of us, myself included, said, "Ah, oh, man, give up on it. It's not happening. But if Pedro Almodovar gets that BAFTA nomination for director. Oh, yes. Yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, James Scott asks, what are your thoughts on the quote-unquote updated version of Cats being released with improved visual effects? It makes me upset. <laughs> it's also like when the first trailer came out, oh, they're going to be working out a little more. It does not look that different between those two trailers. Like, <laughs> I, what are they going to do? Like, oh, we're not going to make them as small? Like, there's nothing they can do. Well, no, it's not that they're changing the design of the characters. No, it's no, that they're no, fixing know, errors that are in there. Judy Dench's hand. That's what they're doing. <laughs> they're fixing that hand. They're cutting out that PA. Like, it's not... But no, keep it in. Let it be the beautiful mess that it is. I'm going to be drunk when I see it. It's not going to yeah. matter. <laughs> As I said on uh, on Twitter, you can't put a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound. <laughs> All right, start the hashtag now. We're doing release the Hooper cut. They can't let us not see this. Keep the we see cut. you, Universal. Keep it. Hey, those of us who saw it on Friday got to witness history. Yeah. That is true. That is true. I'm going to quote Adam Sandler on Uncut Gems. This is history right here. <laughs> Ethan May asks, with Ed Astra not making it into the Oscar shortlist, uh, pretty depressing, he says, I took it out of cinematography and I put Portrait of a Lady on Fire in. Do you see that formulating uh, in cinematography as well for maybe even The Lighthouse? I have Lighthouse in, actually, based on like, them loving black and white cinematography. 
it if it that film shows up anywhere, I feel like that would be the one place that I think is like undeniable. But yeah, I mean, I I would love for Portrait to be in there, and especially for it not even making it as the pick for international feature for it to still get a nomination somewhere else would be pretty unprecedented or at least in recent memory and i think that would be awesome yeah it's been getting traction by itself without france's ballot so i think that shows incredible strength best cinematography has like the opportunity to be like the coolest category on the face of the planet this year Mm -hmm. if they go with non-best picture nominees plus 1917 but if they lean into like the best picture nominees, you know, things like Irishman, Joker, it'll just feel like so safe and conventional and kind of yeah, like they checked it off on a box. Like. Right, right. Because you're right. Portrait on Fire, The Lighthouse, Ad Astra, A Hidden Life. Like these are movies that are not going to get best picture nominations. But God, they are like the most beautiful films that I've seen this year, hands down. And they deserve to be there. Uh, interesting question. Zoe Jewell asks, uh, do you think all of the craziness surrounding the rise of Skywalker will help or hurt Adam, Dri- Adam Driver's awards chances? He's going to do nothing. Exactly. If anything, it just gets him out there for more interviews and whatever. I, although he is great in the movie, and I think it just like reminded me of his like range as an actor. So take that for what you will. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Andrew Purr. Last question asks, how big of an Oscar night do you think Netflix will have based on its current trajectory? Pretty fucking big. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I say they leave with five. Pretty big. Two for Marriage Story, three for Irishman. They're going to lead in nominations, I think. Like oh, oh that's that's yeah, definitely going to happen. Definitely. I've been saying this since the summer. It's definitely Netflix's season to lose. Did you guys watch Eddie Murphy on SNL last night? Yes. Oh, the whole thing was the best. I know they were leaning on that pretty heavily to help him out with his Best Actor uh, campaign. I don't think that was ever going to be like a factor um, for helping him. I never felt that. I I mean, listen, Best Actor is incredibly fluid right now. And a lot of things can happen there. But like him missing at SAG, I thought was like, you know, pretty big. So I like when I look at Dolomite and how it might perform, um, I see it like potentially just getting in for things like costumes. Right. Mm-hmm. And then I look at like the two popes and I think to myself, I mean, like as of today, right now, I only have the two popes getting into screenplay and that's it. Yeah, agreed. And then marriage story. I've seen some people say that like Marriage Story could, you know, perform extremely well and get like up to like eight nominations, you know, so for like the above the line stuff, but also like editing and score. I don't see it getting into editing and score. I I think score it's good for because Randy Newman is like, you know, an Oscar legend. Uh, So what is that? That's like what? uh, Seven if it gets director in that case. Right. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm predicting. See, I'm predicting six right now. So, and and then Irishman, like I said, missing makeup, couldn't miss visual effects. It might, it may not be in the sound categories. I don't know. Like there's like De Niro may not show up. It, it, it may not be as strong. Like they're still going to lead in nominations just because of the, the films that they have. You also got to remember they have I Lost My Body going for animated, Atlantics potentially for international. So they're going to have a good day. Uh, regardless, um, wait, don't they have something in documentary too? Uh, American, American Factory. Factory. Yeah. American Factory. Yeah. 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 See? So they're going to lead probably in nominations for studio, 
But as for the title that leads with most nominations, I don't think it's going to be a Netflix movie. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will lead in film nominations, but Netflix will be the studio that wrecks them all up. I can't wait for the uh, Matt Neglia versus Michael Schwartz battle of the season of Parasite mm-hmm. versus Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. It's going to be fun. <laughs> all right, guys, that'll do it for this week. Uh, that is it. Anyone have any good plans for what they're doing for the holidays? Well, I'm back home in Maryland, and I'm already looking forward to the day after Christmas when my mom and I see Little Women. That's that's the real present there. That's lovely. I'm, my mother, I'm taking my mother to see Little Women as well. Nice. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah. Cody? Um, I might be seeing Bombshell <laughs> soon after <laughs> Christmas. Ayo. So Love Last it. year we saw Vice the day after Christmas, so it would just be, you know, at this point, a, a mini tradition. <laughs> and what about you, Michael? How are you spending uh, Hanukkah? Well, you know, Hanukkah is such a like minor holiday in the scheme of things. So, you right. know, we'll have some uh, the, the Hanukkah movie marathon that I'd mentioned before might be happening. And <laughs> as for uh, as for Christmas, like all good Jews, you go to uh, the movie theater and out for Chinese on Christmas. Yep. Uh, I'll, I'll be seeing Little Women on Christmas and Uncut Gems either later that day or on the 26th. So looking forward to doing some more catch up this week. Absolutely. No, that should be a really, really fun double feature. If anything, I, I, I think you'll have a great time and I think your top 10 will change. Uh, I'm hoping so. <laughs> um, I will be catching up, as I said before, on the documentary and international uh, contenders that um, I have not seen this year that made the shortlist that I have access to. So um, that should be fun. Um, I'm also going to, uh, like I said, take my mother to see Little Women. And I'm also going to uh, like catch up on a few uh, like I'm going to rewatch some things as I try my best to formulize my uh, top 10 because I have my top 10 of the decade like set and ready to go. But the top 10 of this year, I keep going back and forth on a lot of different things. So I want to uh, play around with it a bit more and see uh, where certain things land on repeat viewings because I have to say um, – Every time I watch Uncut Gems and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, my rating for them goes a little bit up more than the last time. So This is how you win. Yeah, I want to see if that happens with some other things. I'll, I'll be very curious to find out. MVP film community uh, ballots going out very soon. Uh, next week, we will be discussing the end of the decade. We'll also be giving Golden Globe predictions. Uh, we will be doing a little bit more. Uh, so be on the lookout, everybody. There's a lot more to come in the award season. Thank you so much for listening. Michael, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Lauren? You can find me on the Twitter at Lauren Lamango. Casey? You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. And Cody, tell them where to find that damn podcast of yours. Oh, my God. Whoa. Okay. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, at CodyMonster91. You can find my goddamn podcast, Halloweeners. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Pod. You tell them, Cody. You tell them. I'm just so amped up about the Eyes Wide Shut thing earlier. That's all. I might watch it tonight after Star Wars. Yeah. Oh, my God. What a future that would be. Mm-hmm. All right, everyone. You can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much for listening to episode 173 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, Castbox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback that you can leave there and your support. 
which you can do by heading on over to Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get exclusive podcast content from us. We just did a uh, podcast review of Star Wars The uh, The Force Awakens to get us ready for Rise of Skywalker and to complement our review of The Last Jedi from two years ago. And we will be doing a podcast review of It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, We're actually doing that tomorrow. Uh, So that'll be up in time just for Christmas. And uh, you can enjoy that with us for $1 minimum a month. Thank you so much for listening as always. And we shall see you all next time. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays.